again, good people of God, people of Foundation Church, and maybe some of your friends that might pass along this broadcast to them. Um, I'm here today to talk to you about Gnosticism. And if you were here, I'd say, say Gnosticism. (laughs) Uh, Gnosticism uh, is spelled with a G, G G-N-O-S-T, Gnosticism. Yeah, I wasn't going to try to spell the whole thing. I'm bad at spelling, but Gnosticism is a is a way of thinking, and um, this way of thinking has worked its way into the church um, in such a way that we don't really even see that you know it's affecting us. But it works its way into our way of thinking, our life philosophy. And then as a result, it skews um, the way we view the scriptures and the way we walk with God. And so it's a very important thing. And it's and it's kind of hard to sort of unwrap yourself from this way of thinking. A lot of people don't understand this. Philosophies that, that are in our mind, they have a way of taking the plain word of God that is very clear and causing us to not be able to hear what it's saying because we have a preconceived notion of what that means. I'll give you sort of an example. You know, I was raised in a church they called a holiness church. And in the holiness church, uh, we were taught that holiness meant um, long hair for the girls, short hair for the boys, dresses for the girls, you know, modest apparel for the girls, um, you know, no jewelry, uh, no going to movies. That's what we were taught holiness meant. Okay. So when, when the scripture would say stuff and it would mention holy, all of that would come with it. So not understanding what the scripture, now I'm not saying that, that hold that there's no part of holiness that has to do with any of that kind of stuff. It does. But holiness is a really um, a bigger thing. Modesty, same thing. We would hear modesty, and modesty meant girls wearing, you know, not wearing pants, uh, girls wearing dresses, uh, whatever. But but the, the the idea of modesty is such it's it's such a bigger subject. One of the things that I have said, and I there's a little tongue in cheek to it, but 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 I I mean it. Um, is one of the most immodest bunch of people in our country are the Amish people. And I say that because it's kind of a provocative thing to say. You know, these people, what what do you mean? What do you mean? Well, what I mean is, is that modesty isn't just about not looking sexual, but the idea of modesty, according to scripture, is it's a bigger thought. It is not, it is trying to not draw attention to yourself and not to you know, try to make everybody look at you and think about you and, and, uh, that you're great or that you're beautiful or important or whatever it is that you're not wanting. But, you know, and so, so when you, when you develop a, a wardrobe, which, you know, someone from a hundred yards away will go, Oh, there's the Amish. Or you walk into a place and everybody's eyes go to you and you become the topic of conversation there's an immodesty to all that. And I'm not talking about that today, but if you don't understand that and you want to talk about that later, you can, but there is an immodesty to modesty sometimes. 
uh, and there is a there is a certainly a, a non-holiness to what they call holiness. Um, so what? So so really, the one of the point I'm trying to make here is that ways of thinking can take what you believe the Bible is teaching and make you think it's teaching what it's not teaching at all. Does that does that make sense to you? All right. So Gnosticism is one of these philosophies that are kind of like somewhere back in our subconscious um, influencing us. And, and Gnosticism, and I don't have a thing right in front of me to give me the, the perfect definition of Gnosticism, but there was a lot of bad things about Gnosticism. But there's one thing in particular that is so much a part of our culture and our way of thinking that it's hard to get out. And it's the idea that there is the spiritual and the the carnal or the worldly, okay? And, and I know that there are things that we would consider spiritual and some things we would consider carnal, but, but in a, you know, a lot of this thinking is not biblical. Okay. So, so let me sort of dance around in here a little bit, just so you can kind of understand what I'm saying. Um, the, and there's a ton of things that Gnostics believe, and we're not going to get into all of them, but there's one part of it that we're going to deal with that is so stuck in our minds uh, that it's hard really to, to get past it. So it's the notion that there are certain things that we do that are spiritual and certain things that we do that are carnal. And the spiritual things are more important, and the carnal things are things we should just, you know, uh, that really aren't worth as much as the spiritual things, okay? So a guy prays, oh, that, well, that's very spiritual. You know, a guy fasts, oh, that's very spiritual. A guy thinks on godly things, oh, that's very spiritual, okay? Uh, but he enjoys playing a game of cards with his friends. Well, that's carnal, okay? I mean, that's not spiritual. And uh, he likes to go hunting. Well, that's not very spiritual. Oh, well, he loves to look at his wife. He thinks his wife is beautiful, well, she's a carnal object, and and so because he looks at her and he thinks she's beautiful, that's a fleshly carnal thing, and that's not it's not that it's horrible, but it's kind of bad, you know. It's not as good as something spiritual. A spiritual man wouldn't notice how pretty his wife was. He wouldn't notice how lovely she was. He would not look at her and desire her in a in a in a fleshly way. He wouldn't want to do that on a Sunday because, you know, on a Sunday, you know, we got to think about spiritual things. This is where this kind of thinking gets convoluted, all right? It's Now, the grains of these thoughts, like if we sat and talked about it, you would say you didn't think it, but, but you do think it. It is in your mind. There are things that, that seem to you like they're just, they're fleshly. You know, someone will, you know, they'll talk, and, they, and I know they didn't mean this when they made it. But, but now people do. They go, it's devil's food cake. It tastes so good. It must be sinful. You know, and they'll laugh. Now, of course, we know deviling is a, means chopping up and whatever. But uh, And it's talking about a way of doing something like deviled ham or deviled eggs or whatever. But a devil's food cake or whatever is, has something to do with the way you make it. But anyway, so, so the idea here is that pleasure, enjoyment... Um, things that you do with your body, the taste of food, like, oh, man, I tasted this food, and it was like, 
it, it tasted so good. It, it must have, there must have been, it must be ungodly. It tasted so good. Okay. And so this idea is that somehow sinful things and ungodly things are so pleasurable. Um, and so, so, so then it goes to say, well, then things that are pleasurable must be ungodly. Can you see this? This is actually bad logic, but it's the devil's trickery. All right. So he doesn't, the devil, he, he's, he's wanting to get the idea that being a Christian is dull and boring and whatever. And, and if Christianity is made without pleasure, well, they're going to be right about it. I mean, you know, if your food isn't supposed to taste good and, you know, you're never supposed to look at your wife and, um, you know, it's bad to play cards. I'm saying most of us, if you're really, really admitting it, you're going, you know, those are the things I really, really like. I love eating good food and I love my wife and I love conversation and fun and fellowship and gameplay and I love to play paintball and some of them go, oh, those are just carnal, fleshly pursuits. This is the deception of the devil and uh, in a minute when I get back from visiting my mother here in the hospital, I will continue this and... Uh, Anyway, I'll see you in a minute. All right, well, no time passed for you, but a period of time has passed for me, and I'm back. And um, actually, I was walking back to the car, and I was thinking about one of the ways this idea of Gnosticism found its way into the church. Um, the devil's pretty tricky. He likes to portray that all of the pleasure in the world comes from him and that God wants to keep us away from the pleasure. And so this is pretty tricky. And it, it causes people to feel like, well, there must be something wrong with me because I really enjoy these things and I must really be a bad person. Well, people who can really enjoy things are not bad people. They're not less spiritual people. Pleasure was the invention and gift of God. And all the things that we enjoy, you know, God could have made food to not have any taste. But what did he do? He gave us from grapes to apples and bananas to sugar to, you know, smoked chicken to an unlimited amount of depth of taste subtlety that we can taste people who you know can make wines and the people's taste buds are so sensitive they can taste whether it was in an oak barrel or uh, whether there was a good rain and you think all oh, that's made up it's actually it's not made up they they really can tell the nuances of our taste these things were not the devil's inventions these are gods the bible says at god's right hand there are pleasures forevermore. The devil has, uh, you know, he doesn't have a patent on pleasure. He That's what he wants us to think. And so he tries to take the good and wonderful and beautiful uh, things that God has done and own those. And then he adds to the, um, the these things perversions. Now, I don't want to go to be PG-13 here or, or, or R-rated, but the deal is is that when God made the world, 
it was not a horrible, sinful thing that God made man and a woman and put them in the garden and they were there and they were before the Lord and, and, you know, Eve was for Adam and Adam was for Eve. There was, there's nothing wrong about that. Some people who have this twisted notion of Gnosticism believe that interaction between men and women, uh, of an intimate nature is the forbidden fruit. And that is the sin. And they, they believe this because of this foolishness with Gnosticism. That's so completely far from the truth. God meant for a man and a woman to be one flesh. Uh, you know, Eve was taken out of man. And, you know, he said, you are flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. And, you know, God makes two one in marriage. And... It is a wonderful and a beautiful and a godly thing. And in fact, it's so wonderful and beautiful that it becomes the example of Christ in the church. Now, people miss that, the intimacy and the beauty and the pleasure of relationship and communication. And they think, well, the beauty is, is that, you know, the only thing that's being said here in Ephesians chapter five is, you know, Christ needs to obey the church and wives need to obey their husbands. And they, that's a very small uh, piece of the puzzle. Um, and they take out all the other stuff too. The love, the honor, the respect, the beauty, the laying down of lives for one another, the oneness. This beautiful thing that God has given. The pleasures, all the pleasures in the world that the devil ever uh, claims for his own are really just the perversions of the better pleasures that God has to offer. He entices men that, you know, they ought to enjoy women. That's the perversion. Men are not to enjoy women. They're to enjoy their wives. And so he takes something lovely and beautiful and exclusive and holy and spiritual. And he perverts it and turns it into something that is ugly and nasty. And it is a counterfeit that does not... uh, it isn't pleasurable. It, it, there is a there is a pleasure to it, but ultimately it is death. It is ruination. When the devil takes the good things of God and perverts them, instead of producing the good fruit, as in like in a marriage, the good fruit would be trust, appreciation, affection, and even the fruit of children. These are all good fruits. These are not the things the devil wants to see uh, produced. So what he wants to see produced basically is pleasure without responsibility, pleasure without uh, the consequence and without even the fruit of the womb. He even wants to destroy that. So he's very tricky and it's what he does. So now how, how did this idea that pleasure uh, you know, is wrong. And, and I, I, I think I have an idea at least. And, and this is, this is tied into this idea of Gnosticism because the idea that, that gets in our mind is this separation that, that the things that we enjoy in our flesh are fleshly in the sense that they are sinful and the things that, you know, you know, only when we pray or whatever and feel spiritual feelings and whatever, and it has nothing to do with our bodies. It's what even causes some people to have churches with no 
no emotion, you know, marriages with no love. And I mean, the, the, where they go with it is crazy. And that is where ugliness gets way into the church. But I believe that a good part of it comes from a misinterpretation of Isaiah chapter 58. Uh, it's the only thing in the Bible that's even remotely close to getting you there. And then once you're there, once you're in the, once you're not understanding Isaiah 58, and you get a wrong understanding of what's going on there, you can see how this will jump into other parts of our life, and and it has, and you've you've seen it plenty. Isaiah 58:13, he's been talking. Isaiah has been prophesying to the to the people of God, and they've been, you know. Uh, punished by uh, the Babylonian captivity and the difficulties, and he's telling them that a day, a day is going to come, but they need to repent. A day is going to come when things are going to be different. They need to repent, and so we. One of the things he wants them to repent of is that they have adopted the ways of the pagans around them, and they are breaking the Sabbath. They are, um, you know, they're trying to make sure they get all they get, and all their needs are provided, and all that stuff. So what do they do? They're working on the Sabbath, which, you know, is against God's law. So he tells them in Isaiah 58, starting in verse 13, he says, If thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath, from doing thy pleasure, see the word pleasure here, to, uh, from doing thy pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy Lord honorable thou shalt honor him, not doing thy own ways, nor finding thy own pleasure, there's the word again, nor speaking thine own words. Verse 14, thou shalt then delight thyself in the Lord, and I will cause thee to ride upon the high places of the earth. And, you know, and so God is basically inviting them to obey the Sabbath, to keep the Sabbath, and he tells them, he mentions, you know, in the King James, it uses the word pleasure twice, and so people get the idea that, okay, what what he really means by that is we should not do anything pleasurable. And the word pleasure here, it's like, um, it's, it's totally misunderstood. This has nothing to do with pleasure as in like, you know, I like the way something tastes or I like the way, you know, something feels. This is pleasure as in what you want to do. So, you know, someone will say, hey, would you, you know, you'll, you'll, you're going through Chick-fil-A and, uh, hello, this is, you know, welcome to Chick-fil-A. It's my pleasure to serve you, which is saying that it's my will. It's what I want to do. And, um, so that's all he's saying. And so God is saying, you can do what you want to do on the Sabbath, or you can do what I want you to do on the Sabbath. And so the prohibition of the Sabbath is that we should not work to earn money to provide for ourselves on the Sabbath. That's not what the day. We're supposed to rest on that day. We're not supposed to pursue commerce and work and income and be in the rat race on that day. We are to rest believing that if we rest that one day, God will give us in six what he gives everyone else in seven. That was a novel, incredible, beautiful concept that the rest of the world and the pagan world did not understand and it had to be amazing that the children of God would not work on one day of the week, yet still have as much as everybody who works seven days a week. So God was chiding them and saying, if you want to do what you want to do, and you want to be like the pagans, and you want to work on the Sabbath, you are missing out on something great and wonderful and lovely. But if you want to do your pleasure, which is work and do that 
that the bad you know the bad things are going to happen but if you want to do my pleasure so what is god's pleasure on the sabbath it is for us to take a break from our commerce and to stop working to try to provide for ourselves so what happened is is over time and this this was not in the early church this happened quite a bit later someone got this idea in their head and more recently in in our even in the, the, the people that came over, the Puritans who came over um, and, and found that America, um, they had an idea, um, you know, this before they came here, the, they were the Puritans in England, uh, but they had the idea that on Sundays you should only do, uh, you should only sing songs, you should only read the Bible, and these kinds of things. Now, the, the problem is, is that the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible does not say on the Sabbath you are to only sing the Psalms and only read the Scriptures. But you can see where it would be easy to think like this. They're like, hey, I want to be really, really, I want to be really, really holy on this day. Now, they're not understanding. I want to be really set apart. But they're seeing that the only way to be set apart is by reading the Bible and praying. And that's not... That it, the, the idea was not to be set apart from being a human being or to be set apart from the flesh. The idea was to be set apart from work. That's it. That's all that we were supposed to not do. And, and so, but because they adopted this idea on the Sabbath, then people, I believe, got the idea that if it's more holy to be like this, I don't just want to be holy on the Sabbath. I want to be holy seven days a week. Are you starting to follow the logic here? Now, this is bad logic, but you can see how easy it is for an idea to catch hold and get in our minds. All right, I really, really want to please God. So, all right, his word uh, in Isaiah 58, they believed, meant, all right, then we need to stay away from all pleasures uh, that we would like to do and just do the stuff he wants us to do. And then they said what God wants us to do is pray and read the Bible and sing songs. So so they got it confused, but what it did so what it did was it, it caused people to have a way of thinking that God's word doesn't teach. God's word never teaches anything like this. This is a new concept added in by man's invention. You see, man feels guilty and he should because he's a sinner. He doesn't know what to do with the guilt. And he doesn't understand, uh, what, you know, what to do right. So he reads the Word of God, and he just feels sinful. And um, if you read Colossians chapter 2, you'll see the result of this. It says, some people will abase themselves because it really feels spiritual, okay? There, there were all kinds of movements throughout Christianity where this would happen, and in Judaism as well, where people would do bad things to themselves. Like the Bible says we're deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. So people took that literally. And so what they did is they denied themselves. They would fast, uh, you know, and God's word does say to fast, but they would fast and fast and fast. So they were about dead. Uh, they would take and they would flog themselves. Uh, they would decide that they weren't going to eat food that tasted good. They were going to decide that they were never going to get married and enjoy the pleasures of marriage. And all of these things would lead them to a place of greater holiness. This is how the priesthood began. 
the idea of these monks and all of this stuff, it all, all of this is all tied into this Gnostic way of thinking that things that we do in our, our bodies, our bodies are so corrupt that everything we do in them is basically uh, sinful and that if we were really being holy, all we would ever want to do is sing songs and, uh, and pray and, and read the Bible. The Bible does not teach anything like this at all. In fact, if you want to believe like that, try to read the book of the Song, Song of Solomon. And it's almost, you, you read it and you almost think, you almost feel like you shouldn't be reading it. Like it's, it's encouraging things and it's talking about food and, you know, these beautiful smells and ointment and uh, sexuality. And you're just like going, oh, this, you know, this, this, you know, let's, let's not read this book. Um, this type of thinking even gets into our families and our children. They get the idea that things like this are things not to be talked about. They're, things aren't to be enjoyed too much. That that we've got to be real careful or else our flesh will just, you know, overtake us and we'll be a bunch of, bunch of hedonists, you know. Uh, but this is the trick of the devil. What we do, and what happens is, is, you know, people can't keep that up. They can't keep up a a life filled with just reading the Bible uh, and praying and singing because um, you got to work, you got to provide a living for your family, you got to make meals, you got to eat something, you know. So is it wrong to put salt on your meat because it'll make it taste a little better? Is it wrong to, you know, and you go, man, I really like that smoky taste, and so you take the time to smoke it. And you go, well, I know it's very decadent, and and we get the idea that somehow there's something ungodly and sinful. We have been fooled by the devil. God owns and has created pleasure for his people. The Bible says that God enjoys us. He takes pleasure in us. When he sees us enjoying each other, fellowshipping, you know, when he sees kids wrestling and playing and playing hide-go-seek and swinging on swings and, you know, fishing and all, God loves it. God gave us all of these things to do. And he gave us each other to enjoy each other. And as much as you enjoy you know, I mean, I enjoy watching like I enjoy watching a group of ducks uh, swim around and bob their head and you know preen their feathers and go around. I love it; just absolutely brings me pleasure. And I'm sure there are things like that with you. You know, having a cat and petting his little head, listening to it purr. Uh, you know, playing with your children. These are not carnal, ungodly, fleshly pursuits. This is the life. This is the abundant life that Christ came to give us and that he has for us. And so we have got to be careful. You know, I was I was getting ready to, to tell you about this and I kind of got carried away talking what I was talking about. But there is a there is a Christian, they call it Christian, and it's it's a Christian perversion in South America and, and the, it's through uh, Catholicism. Where these people, they want to take up their cross and follow Christ. So you know what they do? They do take it. They, they get crucified. They go and they put their bodies on a tree. They nail nails through their hands the whole nine yards. They they even have this thing where they walk through glass. And they, they, do, the, they, they do things to hurt their flesh. They would call that denying their flesh. They want to do it in, uh, in an event. They want to do it all at once. They want to do it through this cathartic thing that seems, man, this really, this is how I really will show God that I love him. 
And there is a there is a part of us that has a deep yearning and a love for God that would that wants to do anything to show Him. And when someone gives us this as an idea, there are people that take you up on it. And they're like, well, if that's what it means to love God, I want to do that. But you see, denying yourself and taking up your cross is not literally finding someone who's going to nail nails in your hands and hurting you and flogging you. You know, as hard and as awful as that sounds, that's actually easier than denying your flesh, than living your life every single day, that everything you do, you do to the glory of God, whether it be, uh, you know, show your wife you love her and care for her or your children or how you keep your yard, you know, uh, taking care of it, making it beautiful, you know, loving your neighbors. It's self-denial to go out and say, you know what, I don't want my neighbors to have to look at trash in my yard. I don't want neighbors to have to look at, you know, uh, the old appliances in my yard and the, you know, 12 foot tall weeds and trash from, you know, from all these beautiful kids that I have and myself and all of our stuff. And we just get so excited. We just leave stuff out there. You know, self-denial is going, all right, uh, I want to be a good neighbor to them and I don't want them to have to look at it and I'm going to clean it up because they don't enjoy looking at your trash. Um, that's self-denial. Now that's harder because you're like, oh, now come on, you hit me where it hurts. Well, that is where it hurts. Self-denial is, you know, um, it's a million different things in everyday ordinary life. It's not the big events where we, you know, beat ourselves with a stick and, 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 and walk through glass for God, you know, hurting God takes no pleasure in us hurting ourselves physically. But what he does take pleasure in when he sees that we lay down our lives for our wife and our children and our church, uh, and we put other people first and, you know, Hey, we may want that last piece of chicken or, you know, and you may go, well, what does God care about that? He does. Do unto others as you would have them to do. Each esteem others more highly than yourselves. The problem with communion in 1 Corinthians 11 is that these people turned it into a big feast and the people with money got all the best stuff and the poor people were there and they didn't have anything. He said, that's not communion. Communion would be you to bring all of your stuff, share it with all these people and wait on the people that don't have and make sure they have. That's the beauty of laying down your life. And, and that, that, that losing of yourself in them and love and service to them dispels Gnosticism. God cares what we do in our bodies. Being spiritual is what we do in our bodies. It is not when we pray in our bodies and when we read the Bible and when we, and, and when we sing songs. That's not just being spiritual. Being spiritual is how we talk, how we clean our homes and our yards how we do our work. We work what? No one's seeing what we do. We do it for the glory of God. How do we glorify God? We go, you know, there are people that are in need and that are poor. What do we do? Well, I don't really want to go out and ask all the businesses to sponsor me for Mission of Myanmar. I don't really like going and doing this, but you know what? If someone doesn't do this, then no one will. And and so you deny what you would like to be doing. You would like, you know, to live in a cabin in Vermont and uh, write a book, or you'd like to, you know, uh, line dance or whatever it is you want to do. So, but but you don't. You do. And now, when you lay down your life and you do these things for other people, 
I have found that God gives you better things than you ever had. In fact, he promises that he will. You lay down your life, you don't do what you want to do, and God ends up giving you a better life than you ever would have had anyway. You know, I'm living this out right now. Uh, I thought that, you know, leaving my job or I made lots of money and selling my home and doing this, I thought it would be such a big sacrifice, and it was, and it was difficult. And, and But the scripture says that when you do that, that God will bless you in this life. And I'll tell you what, I have lived an adventure so incredible, so wonderful, that honestly, I almost feel guilty enjoying my blessings for a minute, and then I remember I'm not a Gnostic. And I go, Lord, thank you for letting me enjoy uh, London with my wife. Thank you for letting me walk through a castle with my wife. Thank you for... Let me bring my wife to Ellis Island where her grandpa came over uh, and to this country. Lord, you're so good to me. Thank you for the great pleasure of sitting with my family uh, on the Bay of Plymouth and eating seafood and enjoying each other and watching the sunset. That's what this life is for. We should be living it like nobody. We could go and, and, and see how God made our country and, and how he gave it to us and how, he, how these people sacrificed and laid down their lives to pave the way so that we can live in freedom today. And we go, you know, and on 4th of July and we watch the fireworks and we eat at the picnics. And, you know, it glorifies God that we revel in our freedom that he has given us. He loves it. The things that God, you know how God wanted them to celebrate him throughout the year? It was through feasts. It was through big gatherings of uh, massive amounts of God's people to get together to eat and to feast and to celebrate and to fellowship. That's what every Lord's Day should be. It should be a feast and a celebration to the goodness of God. We should live our lives. Uh, it says, with the righteous, it is a continual feast. And the joy that we live, we should not live lives that we feel guilty about having good things and, and enjoying ourselves. And, and this is not something we should let the devil make us feel guilty that we're doing. If God provides a way for these things to happen, be thankful. Be content. Paul said, I, Paul didn't say he was content only not to have something. He said, I have learned to have to be full and to have more than I need, and I've learned how to go without. He said, I've learned how, he said that godliness with contentment is great gain. Contentment is not having a lot and then feeling guilty for it. And contentment is not having very little uh, and then complaining about it. God has brought me joy when I've had nothing. He's brought me joy when he's blessed me with things. And I'm glad today that he has set me free from the Gnosticism that would keep me from drinking deep of life, from enjoying my wife and my children and you. I love to sit with you and talk to you and fellowship with you and hear about, you know, going on a trip with your dad or that time you went fishing or that funny prank your, your, your friend played on you. That's life. That's life more abundantly. I'm living it. You should live it. Say no to Gnosticism today. And uh, walk in the abundance of the pleasures of God at his right hand. Thank you, and may the Lord be with you. I got a little excited, but hey, Steve, I'd like to say thank you for recommending that I do this on Gnosticism because I had a ball.